Trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and may be distressing for some listeners. Pride Across the Ages is a collaborative project to amplify and celebrate the voices of regional LGBTIQA living in central Victoria. All episodes were recorded on Jar Jar land and we respectfully recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This project has been made possible with the financial assistance of Melbourne Pride and with the support of the Mount Alexander LGBTIQA steering group the Mount Alexander Shire Council and Main FM 94.9. Hi, my name is Tracy Williams. I was born in Ballarat in Victoria. I'm one of the baby boomers, which was the, the generation after the silent ones. It's always an interesting question, how do you identify in the LGBTIQ plus A community? I'm an intersex person and intersex people don't identify as being intersex because we are intersex. Um, intersex is, is not a sexuality. As Lady Gaga would say, baby, I was born this way. I mean, the sex people have different sex characteristics. We call them variations of sex characteristics compared to what is stereotypically male and female. And that can be through gonads, through hormones, anatomical or biological. I guess an intersex person also can identify as LGBTQA or straight. And a large majority of the intersex community, from my experience, identify as a straight person. You know. And all these labels are horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up with labels. You know, we look at the the Q in the acronym, and in my time, Q was queer, and it was a very derogative term. It's quite funny these days because some of the older people in our community are, are trying to reclaim that and embrace it, and others still feel the shame and stigma that was attached to them when it was applied to them at the time. You know. And yet the younger members of our community today, or communities, um, the LGBTI, QA plus community, they seem to embrace the Q as being queer. I think what people have to understand, and it's generally not understood or applied, is that all people within the acronym they use terminology in different ways. So the way I would describe myself, another person might find that off-putting, and yet I'm, I'm acceptable with it. Uh, for example, I might say that in my time I was known as an Aphrodite, and the younger members of our intersex community today find that very derogative and, and very shameful and off-putting. So terminology is really important and we need to as people respect each other's own terminology that we use about ourselves and if we're happy with that that's all that should matter
a little cliche, you know, what is a good bottle of wine? It's whatever you like. So terminology, it's whatever you like. That's good. Uh, I grew up in Ballarat. I was made a state ward and I was a ward of the state and put into government care. My father was a Jehovah and did not see me as a child of his God. And so that meant my childhood was spent uh, predominantly away from my family, um, especially my mother. And my mum always said that I was her favourite and she lost her favourite because of her husband's religion. And intersex people around the world um, very much depends where you're born. So if you're born in some cultures, you become a shaman. So very highly respected and worshipped and consulted. In other countries around the world, you can be terminated at birth for being intersex. And even today, we know that some intersex uh, fetuses are being terminated purely on the basis that they are intersex. Culture has a lot to do with being intersex as well. Culture has a lot to do with sexuality as well. Still countries in the world where it's illegal um, to have your own choice of sexuality that governments don't agree with. I grew up in Ballarat. I went to school in Ballarat. I was a child who seemed to breathe through school but hated it. And a lot of that was the, the, the bullying that goes with being in a children's home and the fact that I was also intersex. So I don't have any genitalia as such. I was brought up as a boy. And to have to go into the boys' change rooms, for example, after PE or sport and strip down and and have a shower that just wasn't on so I had to find alternate ways and means um, of not doing that so it meant you know you would skip sport wag sport or muck up as they'd say in the day um, get six of the best on each hand and have to sit the, the lesson out so there were lots of ways you know you I think children who are a bit different they come up with various coping mechanisms to get around things some not for the good of your own sake as well, so, yeah. I think that I, I look at childhood memories of, of adults, so stereotypically most children in children's homes in the, the 60s and 70s never had great things to say about um, adults being role models for them. In fact, a lot of children, including myself, you know, the people who are meant to be caring for us, only cared about themselves, you know, so they they took advantage of you in ways that should no child should ever be subject to. Um, not then, not now, and never in the future. Um, so I never saw adults as role models. In children's homes it was really easy to be sent off to juvenile justice just for not doing the right thing. And they were fairly strict. And so a lot of children were sent to juvenile justice. I spent a, a lot of time in psychiatric facilities because, once again, your genitalia didn't allow you to be in a, a place like Tirana or Beltara or Alambia where the girls were. Just the difference of having my intersex variation made to me uh, in relation to where I was sent, for example, when I did the wrong thing or perceived to have done the wrong thing. Friends... Uh, Children in children's home didn't really make friends. Uh, you lived with other children, uh, you had to be there with them. 
but I don't know a lot of children in children's homes that went on to have lifelong friends. In fact, I don't even know where the children are today that were in the children's homes. I think too, if we look at schooling, uh, children that were in children's homes were, in my experience, we were omitted from class shots at schools. The main reason for that was because the photographer was a, it was a business and the state government wasn't going to pay to have a photo of you somewhere, so it just wasn't done. The same as I lived in an era where the reunions at schools, it never happened. I've never been to a single reunion and yet I hear other people all the time talking about reunions, this reunion, that. I think an intersex person, once they know that they have a variation, because there are quite a few variations that the people aren't actually aware that they have that variation and in some cases that can cause them not to be able to have children or conceive children and sometimes they find out in the process of trying to find out why uh, they can't bear children or why their semen is not uh, capable of, of impregnating an egg they find out they are intersex but for people who have grown up all their lives knowing they are intersex the older members of our community for the majority that i've spoken to and and what we have to think about in our community is a lot of our community hides and if we we look at the acronym which is which has also changed over time because it used to be glbt now it's lgbt the i for a lot of it, especially the older members of our community, doesn't stand for intersex, it stands for invisible. And that's what they chose to do, or that's what their parents chose to do on behalf of them, because the shame and stigma that had been applied to these kinds of children over time, a lot of families never told their children. And we find that lots of the people, lots of intersex people that I have contact with, um, never found out about their variation until later in life. And it was only really the people who had uh, a physical variation, a difference of genitalia, uh, were actually aware that they had a difference. And for those people, they could ask questions. But families, and we're talking adults that would have been 80s plus, you know, 90s, 100, 110, 120 now, that we're talking the, the parents of, of our oldest intersex people in Australia now, they didn't want shame and stigma applied to their family, especially if the, the family came from a, a lower socioeconomic status, that would make their status even worse. The, the thing about intersex is it's very poorly educated and because of that, because of the lack of understanding of people of what is intersex, and there's a difference there too, it's uh, what it is to have a variation but also what it is to live as an intersex person. It's the same as what it is to be, and we're using labels again now, what it is to be a lesbian but what it is to live as a lesbian can be a totally different thing altogether. Well, it is different. So we find that the invisible uh, is still very common in the older members of our community. Intersex variations, they say, occur about 1.7% of the population. So 17 people in every thousand have an intersex variation. 
and yet in Australia we'll hold a uh, fully funded conference and we might get 20 to 30 people actually come to that conference. We want to talk about love. Intersex people have issues in relationships and it's also very hard for intersex people to, to find relationships. A lot of intersex people just look like every other person in this world. It's, 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 it's a piece of nature. We're born this way, you know. But, and we really don't look any different to anybody else at all. If you go online and have a look at the Darlington Statement, which is a statement that was put together by 22, I think it was, intersex people uh, three or four years, four years ago, five years ago in Sydney. Um, there's a great photo on the cover of it and there's a, a look at all the intersex uh, advocates that were there and you could put them in a room of 10,000 people and unless you actually knew them, you wouldn't be able to pick out one single intersex person amongst it. I myself got thrown a bit into the trans basket because I was brought up as a male and was never comfortable with that. And so when I had an opportunity, I sort of drifted towards the female side of the binary scale. So a lot of intersex people have problems having relationships. And you don't necessarily uh, want to be with another intersex person. Mm. <laughs> Most people just want to be with someone they're comfortable with. And that can be challenging in its own right. Yeah. Especially for, for men, a lot of intersex women can't have babies and yet a lot of men would, would like to have a family so knowing that their partner can't have children, that, that might be a restriction. And the opposite for the, for the men who, who also can't conceive children with a woman, you know, that can be a challenge as well. And it's something that, once again, you can't understand unless you live this lived experience that we talk about, you know, within our acronym all the time, you know, or someone that has is, has a disability, you know, this lived experience that we talk about, um, the understanding um, is very, very, very difficult. You know, people can apply empathy, but actually, you've actually lived it. Um, it's a very, very difficult thing. I suck at relationships, personally, so... Um, I think the best thing for me is to to finish off my life single with a dog and um, and just leave it be at that. And a lot of our older um, members of our community are single and it's, it's quite heartening to see the younger members of our community actually developing relationships these days because um, people generally are more accepted uh, as a person today um, regardless of their their gender or sexuality or intersex status. I think however though the the younger members of our community and, and, and a lot do reflect upon it but um, sometimes they need to sit back and think about the work that the older members of the community, the elders have done um, to get us to where we are today. It's still not a great understanding, but at least there's a, a better understanding than what there was 
30, 40, 50 years ago. I thought I was on my own as an intersex person until I saw an episode of 60 Minutes in, in 2000 where Tony Bruffer appeared on 60 Minutes and was coming out as an intersex person and then I realised, hey, there's others in this world just like me. Um, I'd been to the 1979 Mardi Gras to try and see if there were other people uh, a bit like me but as I said earlier, intersex people look like anyone else and you just can't go around with an A-frame on your back saying, hey, are you intersexed, are you intersex, you know. Um, back then, of course, we were still known as hermaphrodites. So our community has lots of different challenges. They're, they're challenged from the time they're born. Um, they're often um, used by doctors in a way that is inappropriate and that's why we're trying to, as an intersex community, change what is applied to children at birth and also in young children and adolescents. Uh, we're trying to get the Victorian government to stop surgeries on intersex infants especially and there's no life-threatening intersex variation so it's abuse of the child's human rights and the person themselves they need to be able to make a conscientious decision later in life as to any surgeries that may or may not take place and unfortunately in Australia uh, we just don't have those laws at the moment there are other countries in the world where it's illegal to operate on an intersex infant but not quite yet in Australia so Victoria is leading the way it's not putting our state before any other state uh, because lots of other states have done amazing work um, on intersex health and well-being. How do I find other LGBT people? It depends what you're doing at the time. Go to a, a picnic in the park and you're all there for the same reason. You're all there to have a good time. You're all there to enjoy yourself, um, have a bit of food, have a bit of drink if that's the way you're at. You know, listen to some music and life's great. But when it comes down to the individual letters of the acronym, I find that everybody's out for themselves. So the lesbian community are trying to do as much as they can for their community and the gay community the same, the trans community the same and I know the intersex community the same. I think the biggest advance we've had apart from the, the same-sex marriage act is the trans people have come so far in a shorter period of time and that was because of the advancements that had been made by the gay and lesbian community and Sometimes I think that other communities who actually are coming on that tail also don't think about the work that's actually been done by other groups within the acronym for them to be able to have um, the ability to seek funding, uh, awareness, change legislation, and all that happened because the GNL community did it originally. Many, many people from the, the GL 
BT community don't understand even today what intersex is. I worry for our older people in our community, especially those who, when they were younger, were subject to treatment by doctors. Uh, many were guinea pigs for different projects, were photographed without their consent. And I worry for those members in our community that will or are in the process of going into to aged care. Someone from the, the acronym, I guess, has to make a decision even now when they go into aged care, you know, do they keep their, their sexuality and intersex status secret? Um, many have said that they feel as if they have to come out again in a nursing home and it's not, not right, you know. If only we could treat people as people, the world would be such a better place. But unfortunately, we put people into different boxes. You will see someone who has bright coloured hair, whether it's purple or green or whatnot, and you'll actually notice that more than just the average black, brunette, blonde, whatever. But realistically, the colour of a person's hair should be all in one box. I always say, you notice the the guide dog or the, the blind person or seeing impaired person's cane before you actually see the person. If they didn't have the cane or the dog, you might not even see them and would just treat them as an ordinary individual. So it's, it's very interesting how we, as an acronym, will see aged care as well. I think that growing up in, I grew up in rural Victoria and regional Victoria, and I saw lots and lots and lots of the gay community as a collective leave the towns that I lived in and go to Melbourne. For there they thought it was safer. And to a degree it was for the suburbs that they were living in. I'm sure there's still places today in Melbourne, and Sydney or any capital city or cities around the world where it's not safe to be gay or you risk getting bashed. I didn't know another single intersex person until I was over 45 years of age. And then there was only a brief one or two. And then I saw the 60 Minutes. And many people in, in regional towns and, and rural settings in, uh, in Australia still don't feel safe. The, the, the ability for them to attend events in general is less. I mean, we just look at theatre, for example, you know. You might see Cats or Phantom of the Opera, but it's only shown in Melbourne. Um, so people have to travel. If you want to be with your like kind, often you have to travel. And for a lot of people, their choice of sexuality, anything apart from heterosexual, um, is still something they have to keep a secret in rural areas. So it's, it's not perfect. I don't think it'll ever be perfect. But I look at from the time, if we look at the 78 as the first people to dance down Oxford Street, because it was legal to actually have a march. Back then they couldn't march, so they danced down Oxford Street and they had a truck with some speakers on it. I was there the next year, so I went to the 79 Mardi Gras and it was really sad to see these people marching and then being dragged into alleyways and being bashed 
and realistically, if we look at from then till now, it's only 40 years ago, at least those human rights are not being abused, you know. Um, you, you don't hear of, of people at Mardi Gras now going in the parade and then afterwards getting bashed. It doesn't happen, or I don't hear it anyway. So we're only a young country, but we, we have come a long way. We grew slowly between 1980 and, and 2000, but we have grown a lot, I think, from year 2000 through to today. And I think people generally are more accepting of people. And I'm not talking about acronym people, I'm talking about people in general. I was actually an advocate in the trans community before I was an advocate in the, the intersex community because I, I had no community. Mm. And I was fairly outspoken in the, the trans community. There was a group at the time, and it would be unfair to mention them, uh, whose predominant activities surrounded pre- and post-op uh, transsexual people of the day and they really had no time for as they called them in the day transvestites but we could cross-dressers today um, a lot of cross-dressers that's all they can do that's as far as they can go you know um, men or women although it is easier for a, a lady to cross-dress um, all she has to do is wear a, a t-shirt a final eight shirt and a pair of jeans voila it's a bit more difficult for a man to wear a frock down the street in high heels, you know, with his, uh, his tradie beard in tow, you know. And it kind of made me sad back then that, yeah, they were really segregated, uh, the transgender community as it's known now, that they didn't really give enough time to those people who, through whatever circumstance, they couldn't go any further with their choice of gender. And it's good today to see that they're are so many varied organisations. And two, since that time, especially if we look at from the year 2000 onwards, the, the binary scale has, has really taken off as well. And certain people have, have added to that. A person by the name of Nori May Welby, she, or Nori May, was the first person to be not have title attached. Uh, but today, the People are more accepting of, of the non-binary scale. I, as an older person, have a difficulty with the choice of words that they use, they, them, mm -hmm. because for me, as an older person, they, them was always a plural term. And it was referred to a group of people. What are the guys doing on Saturday night? Oh, they're, they're going to the, or they are going to, or them, you know. It was always plural, you know. Um, and as a person of the acronym, I put myself out there a bit more to understand that. But I worry about the, and here we go again, using a label in the straight community, the older members of community, of the general community, using they, them as a pronoun for people on, on this uh, binary scale, which goes from the most masculine to the most feminine. And yeah, perhaps, perhaps a different choice of words could have been used, but at the end of the day, if we just use the person's name, it does two things. It, it it allows the person to to think that you're actually you are conversing with them and having the conversation, but you're actually being quite personal if you use a person's name. So yeah. I think that too since 
since our community has been able to get together and have some retreats, which we've had um, probably half a dozen or more, we also invite people from other countries, predominantly New Zealand, come across to Australia when we have a retreat. That's um, very good to, to catch up with other people, especially in what we call our region. Also, we're, we're lucky enough to have worldwide intersex organisations and that does help as well in as much as finding out what is happening in other countries. For, for our community, we, we need to be switched on to that because we need to know what the rest of the world is doing and if the rest of the world is advocating for the human rights of intersex people, we are too, but we need to, to get on their bandwagon as well as they do get on our bandwagon and push that. I guess the only thing for us as, as an intersex community by saying that is that we come from, you know, we come from all walks of life and all countries of the world. And in this country, we come from all states and territories as well. So getting together for us is, is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And even if you only see each other once a year, um, it's like catching up with this extended family. So it's like, you know, normal families, maybe at Christmas time, who travel from far away and they all catch up together. When we catch up as an intersex family, it's quite, quite an emotional and bonding time, you know. We need to do it more often, but unfortunately we don't have the, the funds or the resources to do it. We wish we could, but we just don't have those resources just at the moment. I think that we, we have to look at generational attitudes and the the older members of the community always did everything voluntary and it, it's the same in all communities. It just doesn't matter what community you're in. Older members of the communities always did things on a voluntary basis, you know, mm -hmm. and the newer members of our community feel that they should be paid for certain things within the community, education, um, sharing their life, experiences, those sorts of things. And I think there's, there's a little bit of, I don't think angst is the right word, but probably we as a community need to, to understand the younger people. As an older community, we need to understand the younger people better and the younger people need to understand the older people better and what they did and try and find this, this great happy medium. I think in this country, we're actually very, very close to, to looking at actually having the first paid worker for, for intersex rights. We, we actually, well, sorry, um, for intersex peer support. We already have a couple of um, amazing people. Morgan Carpenter in Sydney ha has been a man that has come so far in such a short period of time and advanced the knowledge of our community and communities as a whole, has fought so hard for the rights of intersex people and has written many, many literature documents to the same. Uh, Tony Briffer uh, from Melbourne. Um, so as, as far as intersex peer support goes, we're very, very close actually to having our first ever paid worker and it's now 2020. And once that happens, I think we'll see some, some better advancements, more education, a greater understanding of what it is or what intersex variations are. And perhaps we might one of the things that we, we struggle with as a community is 
people putting their hand up and actually saying, hey, yeah, I am intersex. Um, because in this country, it's a sad indictment to say that there is only probably 100 people in this country who actually actively put their hand up, even 150, and say, hey, I'm intersex, when we know that 1.7% of our population potentially are intersex. Mm -hmm. And to put that into a, a more visual picture, 1.7% of the world's population is about the same as people who have red hair. So if you know someone who's got red hair, chances are you might know someone who's got an intersex variation. I must say that anyone that has red hair and, and is intersex is quite smug of the fact that they're both so. We've been lucky with our retreats. We've managed to, to go to different parts of Australia. Um, but one place that we, we really do need to go is we do need, as a, as a community, start heading west. We have um, an amazing representative in, in Adelaide and it would be nice for us to sort of head west and gather over there. And that person's also a senior member and elder of our community. Elder's an interesting term and Yes, it's a little bit of age is applied to it, but also um, I think you know it's a very respectful term where they wisdom and contribution as well. You know, it's it's nice to be called an elder on that basis. I think the community at large. I know in our community we've lost two years of our lives, you know, basically. Some people have advanced through COVID, you know, they've done really, really well out of it. Other people um, have really struggled. And I know many, many people in our community have struggled. And I've talked with other um, LGBT communities and they've had lots of issues. But I've also talked to lots of people in the straight community and they've had lots of issues as well. We look at, this is the 9th of November today, in two days' time it will be Remembrance Day. And, you know, Remembrance Day came about from the men and women who went to World War I and some paid the ultimate price by giving up their lives so that we could have this life that we have here today. I think notwithstanding COVID, if COVID hadn't happened, we would be in a far, far better place today by community understanding and accepting community more um, whereas I think COVID has tentatively torn communities apart a bit and my closing words to all communities is that we ne now need to pick up on where we left off and we need to be able to support each other from whatever community you've come from um, in a way that we've never supported before and try and get our communities back to a more happy place and an even place, a safer place. Because apart from those people who have gone to war, been in the defence forces or military or police or something, a lot of people have never been told that they have to do this or they have to do that. Um, so it's a very, very different lifestyle. So now I think we need to yeah, pick up on where we left off two years ago and try and get all our communities back into a happier, safer place. Uh, so if people are looking for information on intersex health and wellbeing, IHRA, IHRA, 
era, as I mentioned before, Morgan Carpenter, they are first and foremost the place to to look up and have been the the big push um, in getting change in this country. As far as uh, peer support, uh, somewhere for parents to go to as well and someone that may think they have an intersex variation, IPSA, which is Intersex Peer Support Australia, formerly AISGA, Androgen Sensitive Support Group of Australia, but it's now known as uh, IPSA, and IPSA is now a peer support organisation that offers peer support for all the variations, intersex variations that we know about. So if you want to find out general information, they've got lots of information on their website, lots of little videos, whereas ERA is more technical. ERA has lots of publications as well for workplaces, for um, if any group, uh, community group, is looking for various information, ERA is also the place to go for those sorts of publications. podcast has been produced by Shireen Clough, editing and original music by Amy Chapman, interviews conducted by Shireen Clough and Amalia O'Hara. A big thank you to all participants for sharing their stories with such wonderful generosity of spirit. If anything within this episode has been upsetting for you, please reach out and call the dedicated LGBTIQA plus helpline switchboard on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline 13 11 14 Kids Helpline 1 800 55 1 800